welcome in everyone to another episode of the Nonprofit Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Swim Kareem, and we are packed. An absolutely loaded episode today. Um, Still in a good mood after attending the Directors of Volunteers and Agency Colorado Conference on Volunteerism in Denver. That's the Duvia, keep messing up, the Duvia CCOV. They had a good conference September 7th, had a chance to go up there for that in Denver. Uh, Denver's such a great place. Great place. Food is good. The views are good. The activities are good. Uh, Just love Denver. And everyone, every time I go up there, I'm always like, wow, is everyone attractive in this city? (laughs) I mean, like, is everyone attractive in this city? Maybe it's a combination of, of... you know, activities and money and things to do. And it has like that Western kind of vibe, you know, compared to like if you go to Boston or Baltimore, those are kind of older cities. But as you go further west to the Denver's, the Seattle's, the L.A.'s, you kind of get different energy. And the people just seem so attractive. People are smiling, having fun. I mean, everyone drives a Subaru and everyone hikes a mountain and like has a a REI membership. (laughs) But love Denver. So, again, shout out to the Davia. Colorado Conference of Volunteers, they put on a really good event, loved it. And so hopefully if you're listening to this for the first time or one of the first times, glad to have you here. Like I said earlier, we are packed today. If you if you listen to the Nonprofit Insider on a regular basis, you know we like to do a nonprofit horror story at the end of an episode, and we like to do a news segment at the beginning of an episode. No news segment today. No new segment. Instead, we're going to talk about the documentary series that is getting a lot of buzz right now in the industry. It's called Telemarketers. It's on Max, formerly known as HBO Max. So so stay tuned for that here in about three minutes. I'm going to talk about this documentary. And and it's so much more than just a documentary about telemarketers. It's about telemarketers, scams, nonprofits, charities, overhead uh, so, you know, we'll have some spoilers, so kind of be warned for that here in a little bit. We'll get to that in about two, three minutes. We're also going to talk about fraud charities in the industry as a whole. That's going to be in our second segment. Ten minutes of just pure opinions. Like, I, I have so many thoughts about the aspect of the nonprofit space and some of the ways that much of it is intertwined, like with any industry, and so we're going to talk about fraud charities, what to look out for when it comes to fraud charities. And I want to talk about a trend in the nonprofit space that I absolutely hate seeing. I still see it to this day. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's my own little thing. So I'd be curious to get your insights and opinions on that. And in the last 10 minutes, rapid fire books. We've been doing a lot of book recommendations lately. I am finally going to talk about the book Transferring Disruption. Look, I can't even speak. Transforming disruption to impact, rethinking volunteer engagement for a rapidly changing world. Some high-level folks wrote that book. Had a chance to meet uh, one of them, Dr. Sue Carter Kale, while I was at the event in Denver. Uh, she had a really good session. Put it on a really good. So I'm going to talk about that book. It's edited by Doug Bolton, Beth Steinhorn, Jerome Tennille, Craig Young. Uh, so so stay tuned for that here in about 20 minutes. We're going to dive into that. Be sure to follow us on Instagram. You can find us at the Nonprofit Insider. Uh, I know you're on Instagram, so follow us there. And also, big news here. 
big news for me as, as a 35-year-old, we are now on TikTok. <laughs> Find us on TikTok, the Nonprofit Insider. I'm one of those people I was like, you know what? I've got so much going on. I can't sign up for TikTok. And then threads kind of came and went and feel like I said, listen, I don't even know. The government may ban TikTok. It's clear it's here to stay that they're just they're just too much of a force. So I'm on TikTok. No videos yet, but we're going to be doing a lot of aspects on TikTok. I, one of the things that I have a fear a fear of mine is that I'm going to get older and just be like, no, I'm not going to do a lot of the new things. So listen, I, it's not a matter of being hit with it, but more just a matter of staying up on what's happening. There's a lot of changes happening in artificial intelligence. There's a lot of changes happening in news and media. So stay tuned uh, for some of the things we're going to do. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on TikTok. All right. I think we got all that out the way. Listen, let's get into this stuff. Uh, let's get to the first segment. Had a little time over the weekend, and anyone knows, as you get older in life, just with anything, you get more responsibilities, more things come on your plate, more people turn to you or look to you for your time, because you have responsibilities, you have things that you're trying to accomplish, family, kids, work, and then, of course, you have your own personal desires and things you're trying to accomplish, so with every passing year, it can just feel like, golly, like... Where is the time? I don't have time to do anything. And this weekend, I was able to get a little bit of extra time. No kid. He's with his mom. No girl. She went on a music camping trip in northern New Mexico somewhere. So I was like, you know, I have some time. I cleaned my house. You know, did all the things that you're supposed to do when you have like a little bit of extra time. I said, you know what? Let me open up Roku. Let me chill. Eat some popcorn. Made a nice hamburger. Uh, grill that sucker up. I said, you know, I got a little bit of time here. Let me open up Roku, open up HBO, and see what I can watch. And we've all done this. Like, you have a list of things you want to watch. You never get to any of them. But then every now and then you watch one or two. One under my list and Max. And I saw that I, I had put the documentary Telemarketers as one I should watch. And listen, I love documentaries. I love a good documentary. I love anything scam related. I'm in on because I hate parting ways with my money. And one of the great aspects, well, maybe great is not the right word, but one of the, the, the truest aspects of society that is money will flow wherever it can. And scams is a prime example where people have the ability to scam others out of their money. So I said, you know what? I want to watch this. It's got everything I'm interested in. Telemarketing, scamming. And the, the description of this particular show says, and I quote, the HBO original docuseries Telemarketers chronicles the 20-year journey of two unlikely employees who stumble upon the murky truth behind a seedy New Jersey call center. Per- perfect. Sign me up. 10 times over. One of my one of my favorite podcasts right now is called The Perfect Scam. It's through AARP and they talk about all the different ways to avoid being scammed out of your money in an ever-changing world. It's a really good podcast. Go and check it out. And warning, spoilers are, are coming up with this show. So if you're thinking you're going to watch this, this series, it's a documentary. It's only three episodes, 50-minute episodes. So it's not even really a whole lot uh, to consume 
I was watching a couple of other docuseries that are like 10 episodes, 20 episodes. That can get kind of kind of too many. But this is only three episodes, about 50-minute episodes. So I'm going to have some spoilers ahead. And it, the, the documentary, if you haven't had a chance to watch it, and if you're thinking you're going you're gonna to watch it, the documentary, it basically starts off about this company called the Civic Development Group. They're based out of New Jersey, and it's a telemarketing company. And the basic deal is they raise money on behalf of charities. And they would raise money using the name and the likeness to a degree of some of the biggest charities in the nation around police, firefighters, military, veterans, that kind of that kind of market. And they did a little bit of uh, work with some dubious cancer organizations, a couple of children-related nonprofits thrown in. But fire, police, military, and veterans was their, their big aspect of telemarketing. And listen, a lot of nonprofits use telemarketing organizations. A lot of nonprofits use direct mail or marketing uh, organizations to help with their fundraisings. It's it's actually it's an aspect of the nonprofit space that can get a little bit of flack when you think of some big nonprofits that may use those. I always mention St. Jude's kind of is a big one because you can do outside fundraising, outside telemarketing, and it's not necessarily a bad thing to do that. But it is a, a, a part of the nonprofit space where a lot of people have a lot of criticism on. But this documentary, it starts off with the focus of this like shitty telemarketing company. They're, they're ripping off elderly people. They're, they're in a boiler room, you know, calling up folks. Hey, this is Sam with uh, this organization. We're raising money for blah, blah, blah. This is Melissa with this organization. We're raising money for blah, blah, blah. So it has a really strong focus in that first episode on some of the people that work at this telemarketing company and and listen there are some freaking characters on in this documentary they're following these folks a a couple of different people and this telemarketing company because because the nature of the business is the basically it's legal scamming until it's until the you know attorney general whoever says otherwise, but they're scamming people out of this money, and because these individuals are in the boiler room on these calls, and this is like in the early two thousands, mid two thousands, because they're calling elderly folks and they're taking their money, there's all types of shenanigans that are happening in in these in these companies. People are. Uh, they've got they've got ex-cons, and I say that respectfully because listen, if you do your time and you get out, you know you should be able to get back in society and do your thing. We can talk about that on another episode. But they've got ex-cons that are working in this telemarketing company. They're selling drugs inside the building. They're soliciting sex inside the building. They're they're trashing the building. They're working high. I mean, there's countless videos. In images in this documentary of people going to the bathroom, they're snorting heroin, they're snorting cocaine. I mean, they're doing all types of drugs, but they're getting on the phone, they're calling up folks in 
Arizona and Texas and Oklahoma. I mean, they're just calling people in New York, LA, all over, and they're getting people to part ways with this money or part ways with their money on dubious, fraudulent, nonprofit charities. So the two main individuals of the documentary, I cannot, one of them is named Pat. I think the other one may be named Arnold. I, listen, I already forgot. He was more a little bit more behind the scenes. But the main star is a guy named Pat. Pat, sort for Patrick. They dig into and they focus on really one main nonprofit charity entity across the United States and some of the work they do as a charity. That's, and they serve as the bit, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, organization to use this telemarketing company, and it's the FOP or the Fraternal Order of Police. If you typed in FOP right now in Google or Bing, whatever you use, if you type in FOP, you may see the FOP of Denver. I was just there. You may see the FOP of Detroit, Michigan, the FOP of Minnesota, Memphis. It's it's a structure. It's a fraternal organization of law enforcement agencies and they have a national they have a national lodge but then they have if i'm not mistaken different state lodges different county lodges city lodges they have them for um uh, cops they have them for sheriffs they, they have like a whole bunch of different breakdown and divisions think of like the nra right the nra has their the national headquarters right but then they have state NRA and city NRA, you know, blah, blah, blah. So they focus on this fraternal order of police and they turn out to be one of the biggest suppliers of, of um, business for this telemarketing company. And so you go, wait a minute, this telemarketing company is hiring. And I say, again, I say this respectfully, this telemarketing company is hiring ex-convicts, People that got out of jail, people that are on probation. They literally talked about how this telemarketing company would go to a local city's halfway house and they say, hey, do, do you got you all need a job? We can give you a job. And I'm all about getting jobs to people that have been in prison because the industrial complex, prison complex is real. If you haven't had a chance, check out 13th on uh, Netflix. Talk about great documentaries. Wow. Uh, Ava DuVernay. Duver, no, Ava Duver, Duver, Duvernay. Listen, I don't know why I'm messing up her name. She's legendary. Uh, great documentary. So you think to yourself, this telemarketing company is going to halfway houses. They're standing outside of prisons when people get out. They're hiring ex-cons. And their whole job is to go and call individuals and say, hey, listen, I'm calling on behalf of the Fraternal Order of Police. We are raising money for your local police department for fallen soldiers or the family of disabled or fallen police officers. The the irony is just so fabulous. It's so unreal that this documentary really gets I mean, nine out of ten stars for me. So check this out because it talks a lot about the aspects of nonprofits and charities and how charities are not immune from shitty behavior, point blank. Can I tell you about my friends over at the Nonprofit Insider Podcast? That's right. You know I had to do my own promo. And what I want you to do right now is open your Instagram app, because I know you are on Instagram, and follow me at the Nonprofit Insider. 
we have a slew of high-level posts that are going to improve your life in the nonprofit space in a relaxed and informative fashion. We're talking facts, stats, opinion pieces, exclusive nonprofit horror stories I'm only going to share on Instagram, and some pretty cool pictures from time to time. Ball, we only post once a day, so you don't have to worry about seeing 800 million stories and posts on your feeds from me. So annoying when I see those things. Again, follow me at the Nonprofit Insider on Instagram right now. All right, let's get back to the show. Listen, piggybacking off of this documentary, Telemarkers, I, I want to rant here for about five, six, seven minutes uh, on fraudulent charities and nonprofits. Nothing grinds my gears more than a nonprofit organization that does shitty behavior. Point, point blank. When, when you think about the, the, the three-legged stool of society and organization, and this is what I call the three-legged stool of government, for-profit and non-profit, they all feed into each other, right? The government as a whole is designed to serve the people as a whole. That's why we turn to the government and we see a lot of examples of, what's the word I'm looking for? We see a lot of examples of the government doing what we don't think because they're supposed to serve all entities to the best of their abilities. And listen, government isn't going to be perfect and we know the United States government is going to have its flaws, and then you think about the for-profit space. That's where we go when we make money, where we grow and develop society as a whole. And listen, we live in a capitalistic society, and some of the great wonders of the world have been developed because of capitalism. But there are some downsides to it. Like it just it cannot be denied. Uh, I had someone tell me the history of the Panama uh, Canal a lot long ago, and listen, the Panama Canal is one of the great wonders of the world. The fact that humans were able to connect two bodies of water, and not just any bodies of water, like oceans, so that we can make travel easier is just really unprecedented. But if you hear the history behind how many people died, the ways imperialism has come into place, it, it could just be actually mind-blowing in so many respects. And then you have the not-for-profit space. That's the area where, for a lot of folks, Folks that have been downtrodden, that have been beaten, that have been going through really hard aspects of society, that are looking to change society for the greater good in the fashion outside of for-profit and outside of government, the, the, the nonprofit space is a perfect space to do that. But like with anything, like corruption in government, like corruption in for-profit, like scandals and all those areas, the, the nonprofit space is not immune to it. And when you think about some of the worst nonprofits in America, some of the worst charities in America, you probably think of the big ones, right? For better or for worse, it's all fair, but for better or for worse, you think of some of the big ones because those are the ones that come to mind. You think of maybe... I know for a while, a lot of people were giving flack to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation because a lot of people thought they were pushing uh, vaccines, the COVID vaccine, and it came out so fast and they want people to get the jab and they're putting microchips. If you believe that, listen, stop listening now. But a lot of people were giving flack to them. A lot of people, of course, give flack to uh, Greenpeace, that they're they're going around on boats and, and interrupting fishing boats and things like that. A lot of people give a lot of flack to 
Susan G. Komen Foundation. I know for a while, a lot of pink washing. Even people in the industry were like, listen, you guys got to stop putting pink ribbons on fucking everything. Uh, the big example when uh, fracking, and fracking's still going on, but when, I think it was like 2013, fracking was a really, really big thing. A lot of conversations and the Susan G. Komen linked up and they were making pink drill bits. I'll try to put that in the show notes. Uh, Goodwill, Boy Scout, Savage. You know, there's a lot of nonprofits that get a lot of flack. And for the most part, whenever I see criticism of the nonprofit space and big nonprofits, I am comfortable with it. Even some nonprofits that I've worked with, I'm comfortable with the criticism that comes to them because a lot of times those pieces of criticism are fair. Now, if anything, you're going to have extremes. Things can be too blown out of proportion. Things can be misinterpreted. You know, we know how that can be. But criticism of this space is okay. Because if criticism of for-profits and the lack of benefits or pay or rising inflation or price gouging, that's fair. Criticism of the government, lack of taxes, proper tax uh, spending, tax collection, priorities of what we think is important, that's fair. So why, why wouldn't that be fair to see more criticism in the nonprofit space from people not only inside it, but outside it. And that's something I really don't understand when people in the nonprofit space say, those people that aren't even in the space are criticizing our space. So? If, if I have a kid and I let that kid be spoiled, run rotten, destroy restaurants, and it, go, it goes unchecked, if someone without a kid comes to me and says, hey, you need to like get it together. Is that criticism not fair? Just because you don't have kids doesn't mean you can't be critical or have opinions of the education system. That that doesn't make sense. And the nonprofit ratio is a, a concept in many it's 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 a concept in many aspects of the nonprofit space where you really look towards the money of fraudulent charities or charities that just really aren't doing a good job of utilizing money. And so Charity Navigator says that the highest ranking, they give the highest rankings of nonprofit organizations whose program expenses is 85% or higher of their total expenses. So if I if I rip a million dollar nonprofit, and I raise $1 million from grants or government, whatever the case may be. If I bring in a million dollars and $850,000 of that money goes directly to the mission and the programs and the people or the entities that I should be helping govern, whether it's, you know, I was going to say government, whether it's uh, people, environment, um, animals, whatever the case may be, $850,000 of that money goes to those entities, they consider that to be really good. Now, I've other agencies like the Better Business Bureau's Wise Giving Alliance, I should put that in the show notes as well, they say a ratio of 65% or higher. Personally, I like to look for 75%. If I'm looking at a nonprofit and I see that 75% of the money is going towards programs, I think that's pretty good because listen, now I'm going to advocate this. I think the ideas of overhead in the nonprofit space are kind of ridiculous. 
people are looking for 100%. That's just not sustainable. That's that you're just never going to have that. We we've talked about that at nauseum. So I like to look for 75% or more. But for many nonprofits and for many charities, you there are there are ones that exist out there that you've never heard of that are slipping under the radar. Because listen, if you're if you're a big nonprofit, you're going to have arrows shot at you. But if you're a nonprofit that only brings in let's say $500,000 a year, but you pay your CEO 250,000, and you spend another one hundred thousand on telemarketing and outside fundraising, and only ten thousand dollars a year goes towards the mission. That's a problem. That's why, if you go back to episode, gosh, what was it? Episode. I see if I can find it here first. Episode where I talked about the Russell Wilson Foundation. Everybody knows Russell Wilson for the most part. Uh, NFL football player plays funny enough for the Denver Broncos. Uh, you know, and there was a, a issue not that long ago where a lot of things were coming out about his organization and how they were paying their CEO, their uh, secretary, they were paying a lot of people in the organization a lot of freaking money, and yet not a lot were going towards mission or grants or programs. And so there are a lot of nonprofits that exist out there that you've never heard of, I've never heard of, your neighbors never heard of, yet they raise money, like the Fraternal Order of Police, we just talked about that in a second. There are a lot of nonprofits, um, I think, one of, what's the one of the big ones, I'm trying to think here, uh, I can never remember, there's a couple cancer ones that are out there, a couple uh, kid-related ones that are out there, I'll tell you if I could put some in the chat here, or put some in the uh in the uh, the show notes, but there's a lot of nonprofits that are bringing in two million a year, one million a year, eight hundred thousand a year. They're bringing in money, but they're not utilizing that money in a fair aspect. So, one of the things that I always say is, listen, if you're thinking about donating to an organization, there are three simple things you can do. The first thing, ask social media. I know that seems kind of like not silly, if you will, but just ask social media. Hey, I've been looking at this organization. I'm thinking about donating $250 to, I don't know, the retired United States Postal Office. I don't know, group cancer survivor children's list. I'm just making up shit. And just ask and say, hey, has anyone ever reached out to these organizations? Has anyone ever donated? What are your thoughts around it? And so just see what comes up. The second thing that I think a lot of people don't really do uh, it's really, you can actually just go to the the uh, Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, and you can just type this in. Kind of the same with the Better Business Bureau. They're, they're a little bit outdated in some of their respects. They're, that's not their thing. But you could just reach out to the FTC or the FBI. You could just call some of these organizations and say, hey, I'm typing in Google. I'm looking at donating to these organizations. What are some of the things that are that are happening? And then another thing you can do, and this is a little bit more high level and not a lot of people would do it, uh, in addition to asking people in the industry, is you can look at the, the, the organization's 990 report. Every nonprofit has to turn in a federal tax income, like we do our taxes. They have to do that every single year. 
And so you can go to Charity Navigator, you can go to GuideStar, that's where I go. I go to GuideStar to kind of get some of these pieces of information. And you can just see what watchdog groups in the industry are saying. And then when in doubt, type in the nonprofit itself and type in criticism, money, spending, any of those keywords to see what people are saying. With any nonprofit, you're going to have criticism. That's okay. That's okay. It, it doesn't matter if you work for uh, Goodwill, uh, breast cancer awareness. It, it doesn't matter. There are going to be instances of nonprofits that have slip-ups, that have peaks, and that have valleys. But if it's a sustained ordeal where person after person after person and watchdog group at the government agency group at the industry leaders are saying this is not an organization to give money to don't give them money all right one of the things i want to do before i get out of here i've been talking about this for a while uh this book has been making a lot of rounds in the volunteer space of the nonprofit industry and one of the things i have always mentioned and talked about to a degree a little bit here and there is I love volunteerism it, it's it's a subject and a part and a study and an action of life that I find very interesting when it comes to society the way we volunteer our time not expecting anything in return no money no favors no pats on the backs even though I think, you know, pats on the backs are fair to ask for. Praise goes a long way. I, I'm learning that more and more for the people in my life. But in the nonprofit space, volunteering is such a big part of the industry. I haven't talked about it nearly as much because it's so close to my heart. Um, I, I could do it, honestly, forever and ever. Shout out to Toby Johnson, uh, Volunteer Nation podcast. She has a really good one. But this book transforming disrupt disruption to impact rethinking volunteer engagement for a rapidly changing world is a book i recently finished came out in january i'm late to the party and back in 2018 i had a chance i was i was doing a little bit more travel for work and just personal i was just getting out i was just getting ready to go through the process of getting divorced so, you know, I was like, I had some more extra income, some more time on my hands, didn't have a wife at home. So I said, you know, what? I'm getting out a little bit more. Was in Denver and I said, hey, you know what? I'm in Denver and I've been hearing a lot about this company, VQ Strategies. They do volunteer consulting. I said, I'd love to meet with the main person. Her name is Beth Steinhorn. I said, hey, I'm coming back in Denver. We had a chance to, to run into each other uh, through some similar circles at an event one time. I said, hey, I'm coming back to Denver. I'd love to meet with you. You know, coffee's on me, 30, 40 minutes, whatever you can give. She was gracious enough to, to meet me. I think we met at a Whole Foods. Um, Whole Foods is really nice in Denver there uh, off I-25. And we just talked. And, and I just came to really appreciate the insights that she had when it comes to the volunteer space. Interesting history. Look her up. I try to put her information in the show notes as well. And fast forward all these years later, I've just kept up with what she's done. She's introduced me to some other leaders in this field, Dr. Sue Carter, Kale, uh, Betsy McFarlane, um, a couple other people in this industry, Jerome Tennille, one of the other editors of this book. And so when this book came out, I was excited to read it, just never got a chance to get it. 
pick it up, read it. Because again, I'm busy. Like, I don't have time as much. So I finally picked up the book. I knew I was going to Denver. She was going to be at this volunteer event. I said, it's perfect. I can get her to sign the book, all that jazz, and then just talk to her a little about it. She wasn't there. She had an injury. That sucks. Beth, wishing you well. But when reading this book, I had a couple of key points and takeaways from reading it. And if you're a person in the nonprofit space, you might work with volunteers. Depending on your role, you may work with them. Not at all. Small percentage. Not not a lot of people are in that particular boat. Uh, You may work with them a little bit. That's kind of a little bit of a bigger percentage of the pie. But you may work with volunteers, you know, a fair or average amount. And this book dives into some of the aspects of rethinking volunteerism when you have major disruptions. Hurricane Katrina, uh, changes in the laws, changes in political views or society. They, They hint and do a lot of talking as it relates to the racial reckoning after the murder of George Floyd. They talk a lot about some of the aspects of volunteerism after and during the aspects of COVID. Because again, COVID's still going on, but we're not at the heights that we used to have. That's always I I like to say. So they talk about how major disruption, 9-11, I mean, that's a, a major disruption, right? How a major disruption in the industry as a whole or individual industries uh, or societal viewpoints can really change the way volunteering happens and how you can utilize those changes uh, or disruptions for positive change and impact. And listen, I'm not going to talk too much about the book. It's it's not that long, actually. 230 pages. The book is, I always like to detail the book itself. The book is a good book. Uh, feels good. Not too big. Not too heavy. Good font. You know how sometimes you get a book and you're just like, shit, the font on this thing is like freaking tough to read. They know the audience well. They know they put the good font. The book feels nice. Good publishing. I think it's from Amplify Publishing. So they really put some good money behind this book. So go out there, buy it, support it. When you have people in this industry that write high level stuff like this, it's always good to be able to support it. Um so, so the book just as a whole, it feels nice. It is nice, which is really good. One of the, the, the aspects of the book, it's more of like a piecemeal style of thought. One of the things with a lot of books that I usually tend to read, it's not a collection of different authors. And so with this book, I thought it was going to be four different editors and it was just their take. But this book actually, when when looking at it, it it has multiple voices that are speaking. There are four editors who I mentioned earlier. You have Doug, Beth, Jerome, Craig, and then you have 23 unique writers. And each of those four people writes at least once. Um, So you have those four as writers, and then you have an additional 19 writers. Not going to lie, it's a little bit, it's a bit much at times. Because there are just some instances where you're looking for a unified thought and a continuation and buildup of that thought. There are many moments in the book, not even going to front you, where one person is speaking and the first like maybe three, four paragraphs sounds like the first three or four paragraphs of the previous author or the next author because they're, they're, they're setting themselves up, right? If I am a contributor to this book... 
I want to make sure that I have a good basis. And so sometimes there are parts where it's like, yeah, this other person talked about that three chapters ago. But then when you get into the thick of each individual writer, you really get a deeper sense of what they mean and what they're trying to say. So a really good job in that respect. But there are some moments where it feels like a little bit of overlap from some of these 19 different writers. Um, and, and, and one thing I would say is the book feels more like a theory piece than an action piece. That's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that to be critical or to, or to be negative in that respect. But there are some moments where it feels like there aren't a lot of this is what we should do. This is the action we should take. It's more like a this is a, a, a theory or an idea of what can be or a utopia of what is possible type of thing. Now, maybe that's just my interpretation. But when reading some of the, the different writers in the book, there's a lot of from my point of view, aspects of this is something to strive for here, one or two steps, but not really this is what we should be doing. Um, the, the book has really a, a high amount of self-promotion, which I actually appreciate. Whenever you are in the nonprofit space, you want to talk about the work you're doing. When I was in uh, Denver, so Severina Ware, she did a session at the Colorado Conference on Volunteerism. And she was saying, no one's going to advocate you like you. She's not the first person to say that, and she won't be the last. But it is an idea that needs to really get hammered on. So I appreciated that the book had some self-promotion from some of these nonprofit leaders, the organizations they ran, the programs they've developed, uh, et cetera, et cetera. A, a huge pro of this book, if you pick it up, I love the international approach. I think it was simply divine. On this podcast, we talk a lot about things domestically, aspects of the nonprofit space that are really happening in the United States. This book does that and expands and talks about some of the aspects of volunteerism on a much more international scale. I loved reading those types of aspects because just because we're doing successful things here, doesn't mean that there aren't successful things happening in other parts of the world. Uh, Nigeria, South America, uh, Brazil, parts of Europe, Central America, all over North America, Southeast Asia. There's some really, really high level things that are happening in volunteerism as a whole. So the book really does that. And, and the book has some heavy hitters. I mean, they have some, I mean, they have some real... These people have pulled, these four editors, there's no doubt about it. I'm looking at the book right now, and I'm like, yeah, you've got Phyllis Seagal in here, Wendy Wang Roberts, uh, Daniel ha uh, Danielle Holly's in this, Dr. Sue Carter-Kale, who I mentioned in this, uh, Rena Cohen. I mean, they, they Laura Pl Pluto, or Plateau, my apologies there, they have some people that run some real deal organizations that... Uh, we're able to contribute to this book. And, and it shows because they do talk about some high-level things. Again, even though there are moments of overlap in what some of the, the, the subjects that are really talked about. So look, pick this book up. I, I really enjoyed the book. And it's one of the few books that I've had the chance to purchase and own. You all know this. I, I love a good library. And if I can get it out of the library, I'm going to get it out of the library. But with this book, I wanted to buy it. 
I wanted to write in it. I don't normally write in my books, but this book, I took a lot of freaking notes, scribbled all in it, used a pencil, used the back to, to, to write a lot of different notes. So pick it up, especially if you are in the volunteer space. I think you'll really come to appreciate what it says. And there are definitely going to be some particular uh, articles, as, as I would call it, some particular little think pieces in this book that you're going to walk away going, yeah, I really like this. I kind of want to reach out. And so I've already had a chance to reach out to some of the authors in this book. Um, so hopefully we can make some things happen. Maybe get some guests. You never know. All right. I think that's enough for today's episode. Jam-packed. But look, when you have a topic that's on the minds uh, of people in this industry, and we know we have a lot of insiders that listen to this podcast, they want to hear opinions. I love a lot of the nonprofit-related shows that I listen to, but listen, it's a lot of tips and tricks and, and ways to improve uh, your nonprofit or your career. I freaking love those nonprofits. I really do. But I want to see a little bit more of an opinion base aspect, some more commentary in this field. So when you come here, you're going to get some opinions, mixing some, you know, little J journalism. We're not, you know, we're not at Northeastern or, you know, the New York Times or Washington Post or anything like that. But uh, we like to get some opinions of what's happening in the nonprofit space. And that's why we do uh, our horror stories on a regular basis. We'll be back here in two weeks. I'm going to do a really good episode here where, listen, I've mentioned this before. I hate doing lists. Not not because it's not easy to do or fun to do. It's all of those things, but I think it's lazy to do. I see a lot of, I see a lot of things in this space where it's top 10 ways to, I don't know, make money in fundraising or, you know, all these top six and top tens, not knocking that, you know, but listen, if every episode is another list or every other episode is a list, I'm going to tune out because that's the easy route. And look, I love being as lazy as the next person, but not every episode because I'm trying to give you some high quality stuff here. But every 10 episodes or so, I'm going to do a list. And so I'm going to do a continuation of the biggest myths in the nonprofit space. So stay tuned. Two weeks, we'll do the top 10 nonprofits. Uh, top 10 myths of the nonprofit space. We'll do a continuation of, of a previous episode. If you haven't had a chance, go back, listen to that episode. When was it? I think that might have been, was that in May? June. So on the June 7th episode, we did the top five nonprofit myths. I'm going to do another five, but I'm going to call it the top 10. So just a continuation on that. Be sure to follow us on Instagram if you haven't already. Be sure to follow us on TikTok. The young people on TikTok. I'm on TikTok. I'm calling it the TikTok because I'm old now. So be sure to follow us on TikTok. We're going to have some really good stuff that are happening there. All right, let's get out of here. Have a good rest of the week. We'll see you in two weeks.